Welcome to the Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. So today we're going to do a first for the family room. We're going to have two guests in one hour. Two guests in one hour. That's a, that's a first. That is a first. Yep. And uh, both of them children's authors, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the exciting part about this is we have almost the bookends, right? So we, we will have a nun from a cloistered convent. <laughs> And a mother of six <laughs> children with one on the way. You know what I, I hadn't thought about? I can't figure out that. farther apart. Than yeah, that. that is so cool. I hadn't thought about the juxtaposition of those two women, and yet both of them have such a heart for bringing hope and God and truth and yeah, joy. Yeah. Right? Both of them have. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think just just listen to this show, and I, Craig, I think you would agree. If you had to give me one word, listening to Sister. It begins with J, and it's not John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they both have a hope of uh, a uh, joyful, joyful message. Yeah. Joyful message yep. and joyful stories, and but but totally different ends of the world. Anyway, so we, we hope that you'll that you'll uh, get as much fun out of that. Well, the other reason that we're actually um, airing this now in November is because both of these books, right, they would both make great Christmas presents, first of all. Um, they are both geared toward children, but they have a much deeper, richer meaning, kind of like, you know, how Jesus was like, like you come if you can only enter the kingdom of heaven if you become as one of these children, right? right? So they both are stories written for children and yet have such a deep message that I think adults are going to appreciate and enjoy them as well. Okay, so this is kind of fun, especially for me, since growing up, my favorite movie, well, still my favorite movie, is The Sound of Music. And so, of course, in The Sound of Music, you always get to start off by seeing the nuns, the postulants, you know, Maria, the, the naughty nun, you know, being in trouble and having to go see the Mother Abbess. And, and you kind of see a little bit into the glimpse of the, the life inside the convent. Yep. And um, she's the only one who seems to be making it a lot of fun. But what we have today, this is so cool, we actually have our own very religious sister, with us today and she is what she has done is she's she's written a beautiful book for children that um give children a more joyful glimpse into mm-hmm. the life mm-hmm. of what it's like to be a religious sister so we're so excited to to introduce her and be with her today and hear about her new book um but on the family room we also start with prayer so uh john you want to kick us off with a prayer yes in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the gift that is children in our lives. Um, that that time in our lives is, is is so happy for for most of us, and it's a time it's a time that's that's blessed with just a, a a genuineness. And we thank you for that. We ask you today, as we talk to Sister Mary Josepha, that you would open our minds and hearts like those of children, but also um, just expose these thoughts and ideas and concepts to to the hearts of our listeners so that they might share them with children and we might have an opportunity just to touch those special hearts in a special way as a function of what we do today. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you, John. Certainly. 
And as uh, both Mari and John referenced, we have a wonderful nun with us, Sister Mary Josepha. And uh, she grew up in a Catholic homeschooling family that really was the um, fostering of her interest in religious life from a very early age. And interestingly, her father was a Marine. Mm. So you can imagine how that discipline maybe played mm -hmm. into her into her joining the, the convent. Um, moved around nine, nine times in uh, by the time she was 12. So she's used to that kind of, and I think it's played into um, her current situation. But in 2010, the year after she finished her studies, um, she entered into the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of the Apostles. And then she took on the name in honor of uh, St. Joseph. And in 2019, she was sent as one of the founding members of her community's first daughter's house uh, in the monastery of St. Joseph in the Ozark Mountains, uh, Ava, Missouri. Wow. So she's kind of... That's a beautiful out, area. Out there and, and almost like a settler in some cases. <laughs> and it's funny because in the Marine tradition, she's moved three times as a religious sister. And as she says, she's looking forward to her fourth and hopefully maybe perhaps her final move when the uh, permanent monastery is finished, hopefully next year. Wow. So Sister Mary Josepha, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Could I add a parenthetical comment? I was sure. Sure. To pre-record. Um, I didn't actually write the book, The Brides of Christ. It was kind of a collaborative effort for our community. So another sister did the pictures, and we actually had a, another man help us um, with the, the lyrical okay. uh, dialogue on the side. So I didn't want to take credit for something I didn't do. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Sister Mary Joseph, it sounds like you're a wonderful collaborator on the book, and we're glad that you're the spokesperson today to bring us more information. But we'd love to go back a little bit and hear more about your own faith journey. Um, oftentimes, as Catholics, we don't discuss our faith journeys, and it's so beautiful when we get to hear people share um, just their own journey. And so would you would you break that open for us? Sure. Uh, as I as was written in the bio that you all shared at the beginning, I found my uh, my vocation was fostered by my family's own faith. Um, my parents, especially, were really wonderful about bringing good books into our lives and reading them aloud to us. So they really came alive, and um, we we had very vivid and lively uh, read alouds together as a family. And so they gave us a number of books about the saints and. As I was reading these stories and thinking, well, these are examples to us, but I don't see nuns, I don't see monks. What if God wants me to be one of those? How does that happen? <laughs> and I, I did watch The Sound of Music, and that was quite a, <laughs> um, a catalyst in some ways, because I thought, well, there's a nun, that's how it happens. <laughs> but it really, I, was, I would read the books and think about it and ask God what He wanted for my life. Um, and that was how the vocation started. Uh, but I really have to turn again to my parents, and um, really I'm indebted to them for the examples that they gave in their own prayer life. I would often come down in the morning for breakfast and find my mother already up reading the Divine Office by herself. And when my father came home from work, for many years he had a tradition of just going to a quiet place in the house and having his own spiritual reading, his own prayer time. And seeing them just take that time apart to be alone with the Lord um, was an example to me. And I started taking quiet time, too, just like my dad. Mm. And I think that it was in those quiet moments that our Lord was able to um, deepen my faith and actually give me the invitation to the religious life. Mm. That's beautiful. That is really great. And it's 
it ties in so well to how many conversations have we had <laughs> yeah. about the importance of a father and the example yeah, that he sets the same thing. In, in a prayer life, right? Yeah. And and how awesome yeah. it is that he drew you or helped you to be drawn by Jesus into the spot that you're in now. That's great. My sister didn't mention how they preached. She mentioned how they just lived it and she watched. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's yeah. wonderful. Well, they have an example. That's awesome. Well, and you, so you've given us example too, you know, each of us as fathers and mothers to think about, you know, what do our children come in and seeing us do? Do they walk in and see us scrolling through Instagram and Facebook on our phone or do they walk in and see us reading scripture? So yeah, it's beautiful. True. So sister, I'm, I'm curious. I know that several of you collaborated to, to, to write the book, um, Brides of Christ, uh, writing and illustrating and stuff like that. What, what was the inspiration what would what was the prompting to get together to do that? I, that'd be interesting. It has an interesting story, actually. Um, it, so we started a daughter house. Some of us left our mother house in Gower, Missouri, and moved down to southern Missouri to begin a new house for our order. But the familial ties among the sisters are very, very strong. And so we immediately started writing each other notes, telling us about what life was like on the foundation or what was going on back at the mother house. And some of the more artistic sisters realized a picture is worth a thousand words. So they started doodling things uh. that happened throughout the day. And Mother Abbas was watching these notes going by with these wonderful illustrations, and she said, what a beautiful way to share our life with other people. And so she commissioned one of the sisters um, just to tell the story of a young girl becoming a religious, going through all the steps of formation, and living the daily life with her pictures. That's very cool. That's really good. I was also laughing because I'm thinking I'm almost envisioning like the mother of us being the principal and she's walking, watching the class send notes around, right? <laughs> What's on that paper? <laughs> but in this, in this way, was so positive, right? Yes. What I appreciate too about this, and, and again, forgive me if I go off track for a second here. You know, so many times when we talk about our Catholic faith and we talk about the nuns that we encountered, you know, you hear the negative story that somebody contrives or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I had nuns. I love seeing the nuns. My daughter had the Benedict, no, sorry, the um, the Dominican nuns when mm -hmm. we were in Birmingham. And nobody can see mm -hmm. sister's face. But the joy that's, that's kind of she's mm -hmm. exuding with that smile was what I encountered. And I love the fact that you all have done this, though, to bring out that perspective of this is actually a joyful life. This is yeah. actually a pleasant life. This is, you know, so... Thank you for doing that. At the same time, I guess my question is, who are you really targeting by doing this book? Uh, yeah, that's also an interesting question. It has, a, I think, a broader audience that might first meet the eye. I mean, if it's a children's book. It has pictures, so it's, and on one sense, it's supposed to be introducing young children to the religious life and maybe even planting a seed in their own hearts mm -hmm. for a religious vocation. But I think it is supposed to help the parents understand the religious life, too, and to see, as you were saying, that it's not um, a painful sacrifice without any fruit, um, that it is actually a joyful life, um, a normal life, and one that um, brings the child closer to God, but also her family, too. So I hope it kind of uh, demystifies some of these misconceptions about the religious life um, and shows people the they are real sisters, real women in that convent, um, they have their ups and their downs, um, their smiles, and more often their smiles than their tears. <laughs> uh, and it's supposed to, um, I think, break down some of those misconceptions that made people think of religious life as more of a cult or um, something that's unnatural. Yeah. Or even like 
dismal or right. Power, right? right. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, right. you see. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Now, let's be fair. I mean, you've, you've run into those people in general in our faith that there is very little joy. And like I said, when I see these these younger nuns and priests coming up, mm-hmm. the joy they exude. Yeah. And, and, and as, your, as your book is being the bride of Christ, you know, being married yeah. to Christ is this beautiful, wonderful experience. It's, it's, it's wonderful to hear and see. Yeah. You know, I also had the um, privilege of being taught by um, religious. I had the Sisters of Mercy on Guam in my high school when I was growing up, and they were. They just glowed. You know, they didn't wear makeup, but they didn't need it because they just glowed. <laughs> and their convent was attached to our school. So sometimes you'd, you know, off time, out of, out of school time, you might go over and knock on the door, and they come to the door all happy and joyful. And it was <laughs> it was really beautiful and, like, contrasted, right, with the dark um, convent in Austria, um, where Sound of Music was was filmed, which ironically enough, sister, uh, it was interesting recognizing in your bio that you studied actually in Austria. So I kind of laughed. <laughs> that's where the Sound of Music was, and you got to study there as well. So that's pretty cool. Um, so you know, you just you beautifully described who the target audience was for, and as you said, it's broader and more general, and that um, there's some attractiveness in the book because of the joy that you're sharing and because of the, the beautiful illustrations. Um, what else, um, maybe maybe is there a kind of a favorite um, illustration or a favorite story or a favorite part of, of life that you guys highlighted in the book that, that you would want to point out to um, our listeners? Yes. Well, I think that the book... Um it has a special attraction for those of us who are on foundation because all of the scenes are from the mother house mm. and we can actually flip through it and say, Oh, that's sister so-and-so with her chainsaw. Or that's sister <laughs> wait, 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 <laughs> back wait, up, back up. that's a sound bite. That's sister so-and-so with her, her chainsaw. <laughs> that, oh, I just had to make sure. Wait, let's see. That's... Let's see. Joyful picture or Halloween horror picture. I'm not sure. Yeah. That's hilarious. That pew is about three inches too long. Let's move it. No, that's, Terrible. Oh my gosh. Okay, have, all right, keep going. We have to say, you gotta watch out. They're going off. Go ahead. Sister, go ahead. <laughs> but one of my favorite of those um, scenes from back home, so to speak, is the wheelchair races with the elderly sister. Because she, the picture there is a, a little cartoon of our sister Wilhelmina, our founding sister. And it reminds me of when I was a young novice helping her, taking her from place to place. And she would be so enthusiastic about getting to Mass on time, she had this little rhyme, run, run, run to heaven fun. <laughs> and so we'd be running behind her literally. Oh, sister, don't run. <laughs> you might get into trouble. <laughs> but it was very true to life. She was very joyful, very intent on getting to where God wanted her to be when he wanted her to get there. <laughs> that is awesome. That is great. That is great. So I was going to ask, like, what, like, what do you want um, children or – Parents who people people who read. What do you want readers to take away from the book? I, I'm going to say mm-hmm. that I'll let you answer, but like, I think joy, fun. Yeah. Like this is this is. Mm-hmm. I have like after the wheelchair race comment, I have like visions of the movie The Trouble with Angels. Do you remember that oh, movie yeah. with <laughs> Haley Mills? I'm, I'm probably Sister <laughs> Joseph for that. That probably predates you, um, but it'd be a good watch if you had a minute. Anyway, um, what what is what 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 is the message you want them to take away? Yes, I think joy would be a very good answer, um, because the life that we lead is so close to God, um, it's supposed to overflow in joy. And I think that, as we were discussing earlier, is something that uh, we sometimes lose sight of in our religious observance, and we think of it more as rules and regulations, and even as a cramp 
to our joy, but it's really supposed to be the other way. You mm-hmm. know, the closer we come to God, the more united we are to Christ, the more the heart expands and is capable of real joy, not a fleeting, ephemeral uh, pleasure that comes and goes with the weather <laughs> or mm-hmm. with circumstances, but an abiding joy that God promised us through His Son. You know, abide in my love, and through that is the fullness of joy that He promised us. And so our life, uh, again, mysterious in many ways uh, to people who live on the outside, uh, it is supposed to bring us closer to Christ and so give us that fullness of joy. But it isn't excluded or just confined to the convent. You know, other people should find that joy in their relationship with Christ, whatever their walk in life. Mm. So the joy of the convent, you're hoping, pours over into the rest of our lives. I would hope so, yes. Uh, We're here on the behalf of all, so... Um, our life of prayer and sacrifice is supposed to bring grace upon the whole world, not just on our souls. And I think that um, much of that grace is uh, joy, a fuller encounter with Christ. Yeah, now I think we've lost a lot of joy, so God bless you for doing that. Well, listeners, you're here with the, in the family room with us and Sister Mary Josepha, who is talking about a collaboration with the uh, Benedictine nuns uh, that wrote a book called Bride of Christ. Beautiful illustrations and um, stories of, you know, what's going on in the convent that actually we can take into our own practical lives. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot a little bit here. You've been talking about all these wonderful memories that you created going back and forth with the other nuns from the mother house and everything else. So I want you to take it down to your own personal life a little bit and tell us, do you have a favorite family room memory from when you grew up with your marine father and and your mother and your sister and everybody? Yes. Um, I mentioned the family read-alouds that were so precious. Um, And I think it was beautiful that my father, even though he was very busy with the military career and deployed and things like that, when he was home, he was very present to us. And one of his favorite things was to read aloud to us. And one of the things I remember uh, very vividly, we would sometimes get out of play like a good old Shakespeare play, mm. and my father would assign parts, and we would read it aloud in a dramatic <laughs> way, uh, my father, my mother, and my siblings and me. Um, so it was precious to have those times together to share the, the beauty of the literature that we were enjoying, uh, but just our presence among ourselves. Uh, we had a very close-knit family, and I think that the family time around a book really fostered that. Very cool. I just want people to come back and listen to this podcast. We talked about joy. We spoke of joy. Uh, and just listen to this podcast and come away with the belief that there's anything but joy in that house right yeah. now, right? That's yeah. a, it's, it, just, it just comes charging out of, the, of your conversation, sister. Thank you for, thank you, thank you for that. You know, and, and if we if we um, buy this book, and we're actually airing the first time we're airing this is is November because it's would be a great Christmas present for people. So go out and buy that book, Brides of Christ. And when you when you purchase the book, you'll be able to get a glimpse into the daily life. Um, you mentioned that your that your order, you guys have a lot of prayer and sacrifice. Could you give us just a real glimpse? What is it that I know that there are some religious orders that are there, teachers or nurses? What does your religious order do? We are a contemplative community, so our work is mostly spiritual, and mm-hmm. anything that we do exteriorly just fosters that. Um, so we we gather in the chapel eight times a day to sing the psalms together. Mm-hmm. We have daily mass, of course, um, and there are other points in the day when we have time for private prayer and reading. To support ourselves, 
um, we try to be as self-sufficient as we can. We have a big garden. We have farm animals. Um, as it, it, All those illustrations are in the book. Um, but we also have um, a sewing department to make priestly vestments. Mm. And to, we find that a very beautiful way of supporting ourselves because it also has an expression in our prayer for priests. Mm. Um, so we were actually praying for the priest who will wear the vestments while we're sewing it. Our community also has made a number of CDs. And I think, again, it's a good way to support ourselves, but it's also a good way to share our life because people listening to the music um, can have a little bit of that life that we have, the sung prayer throughout the day. Yeah, it's lovely. And thinking about that, I think about the peacefulness, but I also think about how much we need your prayers and how grateful we are that you are, that there is a community of people who is who is focused on praying for all of us, praying for the world, praying for peace, praying for joy. Like you said, your desires that all of us would, would have some of the joy that you all experience as well. And then just inviting us into um, your life of prayer is that's absolutely beautiful. One of the uh, one of the greatest memories that I have, I <clears throat> I went to a boarding school in high school. Most people know that it was that or prison, and so <laughs> I, actually, seriously, um, a cry was a prep seminary across the road from us. Uh, this big bowl, actually, across was um, uh, a, a cloistered convent. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite memories is going to serve mass, like six o'clock mass at the cloistered convent. And walking, and it was it was in Michigan, right? So the snow is coming down. It was like a postcard, or the snow is coming down. There's this house. It's, it was a Victorian home that mm. was converted into a convent. So the lights are coming out of the chapel, and as you got closer and closer, you heard the nuns singing. Oh. It was it was like. Yeah. It was amazing. It's still one of my favorite memories uh, from, from all of high school. And I had a lot of great memories. And, and they weren't singing How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria. They were not. They were not. <laughs> um, although when you were talking about nuns who glow, I remember Sister John Emily being really red in the face when she talked to me. Is that what you mean by glow? <laughs> well, it's funny you bring that up, too, because when I lived in Birmingham and you were you know, with Mother Angelica and her nuns before... They moved out to mm-hmm. Hansville. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would sit in mass, and they had the behind the altar were the cloistered nuns. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, say it like this. You'd hear heaven coming from yes. behind, yeah. um, drowning out my unheavenly voice. But it was amazing, the, 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 the presence of those nuns and what it did for just stepping on the campus, what that was like. And it was, it was, it was amazing. I mean, I can't. Hey, I, do, I do have to ask a side question. This may be a really odd one, and these guys know me better. You know, they know I do these things. But, you know, I went to visit the Dominicans one time, and I was amazed that these non- young nuns, uh, you know, very young nuns, and they, they're growing like crazy, but they're outside playing soccer with each other, full habit, running around however you can do that, playing soccer and all these activities. Do do you, do you nuns get into those kind of activities as well? Sometimes She's laughing too. at me. In our particular house, we're not particularly a soccer community, <laughs> but we really love to hike. And so we will set out in the fall after um, the good, a good frost takes care of the chiggers for us. Ah, we'll go out go. and hike. And the, the mountains out here are just beautiful. And as you say, you know, we, we do it full habit because for the religious sister, the habit is the wedding garment we never take off. Mm. We always have our bridal gown on. Oh, that's lovely. I love that. That's yeah, awesome. That is absolutely lovely. You, you said a couple things, Sister, and, and, and I want to try to get clarity on this because you talked about CDs um, and, and this mm-hmm. book, Brides of Christ. Um, are, are the CDs available uh, on at Sophia Press also? 
Well, I know you can get them from our website, www.benedictinesofmary.org. Okay. And the books, the book is available there, too, as well as other things that the sisters have made. I think they're also available, the CDs, that is, I think are also available um, from the various streaming things online. Okay. I, I, that all happened after I entered the, community, the convent, so okay. <laughs> I'm not very familiar so you, with that. That's fair. But most of the places where you can get music, you can find our CDs. Awesome. Great. And we'll make sure that this in our show notes yeah. as well through okay. Sophia Perfect. Press and the, and the website www.benedictinesofmary.org. Yep. Okay, great. Um, Sister, we have loved being with you and seeing this glimpse into your life there. It's, it's been wonderful. Um, one thing I do want to mention real quick, I know that there are listeners who are not Catholic and may not know what a cloistered nun is. Mm. I, is, your, is your community cloistered? Are you all cloistered? Yes, we are. Okay. Would you describe what that what a cloistered community means? And then if you would, sure. uh, we'd love for you to also close us in prayer. Oh, absolutely. So just briefly, um, active sisters go out and have an apostolate. So they might teach in schools or go to hospitals for nursing. Mm-hmm. But a cloistered sister stays within the uh, boundaries, the physical boundaries of her convent. And some cloistered communities even have a grill that separates the sisters from um it's a lady who might come and visit. Uh, but the point of that is we offer to God a sacrifice of even our space. Um, we live very close to the tabernacle. We never leave him. Mm. And uh, it's a, an extra sacrifice in a certain respect, but also a greater fruitfulness, perhaps from the spiritual perspective. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like you have to leave this world in order to be have that peace and clarity yeah. to be able to pray that way and just be with him. Yes, mm-hmm. that is beautiful. That is beautiful. Guys, anything else you want to ask before we ask Sister just Mary Josepha to close us in prayer? I do want to invite her back because I want the chainsaw story. <laughs> <laughs> you have to buy the book and see the picture. All right, all right. I'm in. You, that's it. That's the hook. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh. So, Sister Mary Josepha, would you close us in prayer? Yes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I am all thine, and all that I have is thine, most loving Jesus, through Mary, thy most holy mother. Bless us, dear Mother, thou and thy divine Son. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. And as John said, we'd love to have you back in the future. (laughs) Hear more fun stories. (laughs) Thank you all very much. I'm very grateful. God bless you. Thank you. you. God bless you. So Sister Mary Josepha, that that was great. That was awesome. And I think clearly you heard the joy in her voice. And if that didn't make you smile, I say stay tuned for our next guest because lots of smiles there too. What do you think? I totally agree. And I know that you're thinking about chainsaws still. (laughs) We'll be right back inside the family room in moments. Sponsored by Versprite on the Quest. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. Did you know that if you were born after 1973, one-fourth of your generation is missing? Perhaps that's why so many people longing for their soulmates have not been able to find them. They may have been aborted. Have you wondered who will find the cure for Alzheimer's, cancer, 
or diabetes, God may have already sent someone to discover those cures, but someone's choice ended their life before it began. Society tells us that we are alive because of our mother's choice. The world says that your worth comes from your convenience to others, but the maker of this world tells us otherwise. You are created in the image and likeness of God full of dignity, and no one can take that away from you. So be not afraid. Let's show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. This is Father Michael Silloway from Christ Our King and Savior Catholic Church in Greensboro, Georgia. And the Sushi Pay prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola is one of my favorites. Please join me in praying it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace, and that will be enough for me. Amen. Hi, this is Teresa Tamio, host of Catholic Connection, heard every morning right here on this station. And we are so grateful for your listenership. And now's the time that we come to you to ask also, in addition to your listenership, your financial support. Of course, we always ask you to pray for us most importantly, but we do need your financial partnership. Now, most of these stations have very small staffs, of course, because we're not rolling in the dough, obviously, because we are in this. This is a mission field effort. But the bottom line is... This is your home, and we're always here for you. Thanks to our friends at EWTN, our programming is provided free of charge, but this station has other expenses that must be paid to keep the doors open and the lights on. Support of your local Catholic radio station helps keep shows like this one, Catholic Connection, available in your area. No matter the amount, your gift works to make a difference for you, for others, and for the future of our Catholic radio family. Please prayerfully consider making a gift right now, and we'll talk to you soon. To donate, log on to thequestatlanta.com. St. Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in Scripture. But the Father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about. Want to go deeper? Listen to the St. Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com. Welcome back to The Family Room with Mari, John, and Craig, sponsored by Versprite on AM 1160 The Quest. So we promised you two authors today. We just heard the first one, and now we're going to hear our second. We're here with Elizabeth Pham, who uh, actually grew up in Georgia, and she and her husband currently live in the Georgia countryside with her with their six children. She's also the author of a storybook of saints, and she uh, is the author of a book we're going to talk about today, The World Waits. And I do want to mention she also has a blog called DegreesInIdealism.com. Uh, we're going to go through the explanation of the book as we uh, have the interview, but I wanted to uh, welcome Elizabeth. Welcome into the family room. Thank you. So we're so glad to have you, and we always ask our guests about their own faith journey because oftentimes their faith journey helps us to better understand why they're doing what they're doing. For example, writing blog posts and writing books, even in the midst of raising six children. So would you share with us a bit of your own personal faith journey, Elizabeth? Sure. Yeah, I, um, I was raised Catholic, and I went to Catholic school growing up. Um, so my faith's kind of always been important to me. Um, I didn't have, like, a big conversion or anything in particular. Um, but I'd say probably the most life-changing event in general in my life and therefore in my faith life was just having my first child. Mm -hmm. um, 
it just totally turned my world upside down. And I was 23 at the time. Um, I was the first of a lot of my friends to have children. Um, and my first child was very feisty. So um, it just it gave me a whole other sense of, of um, I guess, trust in God and really digging deeper into my faith because I found I had so many anxieties once I became a mother mm. yeah. and um, really learning to trust God and give him everything. And um, I think prior to becoming a mother, it was easier for me to, um, I don't know, not fully surrender everything to him. And that was a big change for me to really learn to do that. And similarly with Mary, to surrender everything to Mary. Mm. Um, but so that was a big changing moment for my life um, and my faith. And I feel like with each child, I've I've kind of grown in a different way in my faith. Um, it's a lot of growth with six having, children. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we actually, we have the seventh on the way. So. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Oh That's awesome. Um, Wait, before you yeah. go on, how many boys, how many girls? Well, so we have five boys and one girl. And the one on the way is a boy. Oh, how I was going to say, boys. so you definitely need to learn how to surrender to God and, and deal with <laughs> yeah. a bunch of wild Indians running yeah. around up there, our, like our John youngest, and I were. Our current youngest is the girl. So, um, yeah. A little saving um, grace in the family. Yeah. <laughs> that so, is amazing. I, the rose yeah. among thorns. Actually, her name is Rosemary. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> Right now, there's a lot of parents listening to you, Elizabeth, who will who will agree that children, particularly feisty children, are very good for your prayer life. Yeah, yeah, for your faith yeah. life. Well, it's it's that time that's such an on, a beautifully honest answer because it is when we realize we absolutely have no control. <laughs> we like right. to pretend we have control, and then all of a sudden these little creatures come along, and we find out mm-hmm. we have no control. And you do have to figure out, okay, so who is in control? Oh, I better lean on him. <laughs> right. right? Oh, that's very yeah. Good. yeah. Our daughter has three boys, and, oh, wow. and I'm trying to imagine her house times two. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Um, it's pretty crazy. It's very loud and a lot of jumping. <laughs> a lot of jumping. Is That's that why you moved out yeah. to the country? Give them some space to run around? That was part of it. Yeah, we moved in um, 2020 during all the COVID stuff, and my husband and I had always loved the idea of living in the country and having a, like a little farm and homestead, mm-hmm. but it, we just kind of always felt like it wasn't practical. Um, but I think all that happened in 2020 just kind of opened it up to like, let's just try it. And we've been very, very happy. I can't imagine having it any other way now. So That's we awesome. have a lot of animals and stuff. Oh, nice. I'm very jealous. <laughs> so of all this activity, the last thing I would think of is, gosh, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> How did you get inspired? Right. What was the prompting or inspiration to write, well, more than one book, Elizabeth? So I've always loved writing ever since I was a little girl. I would write little stories when I was real little. Um, and so I've kind of always been writing um, and always had little ideas for books. But especially um, once I had children, I just, realized how um, how much books matter but not just I think there's a misconception that you can just kind of read them anything and as long as it's a book it's good for them mm-hmm. good which point. is not true at all and but I think on 
even more, I think we already know, obviously, that like if a book has something evil in it, that's bad. But even beyond that, like just if it's not well written, if it's not beautiful, um, then I don't really want my children reading it. And there's a lot of stuff that maybe isn't evil, but just isn't beautiful or enjoyable to read for the child and the parent. Um, so I, I guess as I had children, I became more particularly interested in children's books, both like just, I, I homeschool them. So we do a ton of reading. Um, and I just realized, wow, I'm, there's some really not that great children's books out there. And then some really beautiful ones that I enjoy just as much as my children do. Mm. So, um, so I guess always being interested in writing books, but then, um, specifically with my children. Um, the first one that I wrote with Sophia was, um, a storybook of saints. And that was inspired by just feeling like there was kind of a, a lack of, um, very short story versions of saint stories for children. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of like, I don't know what I grew up with was, was saint books that had very beautiful illustrations and then kind of like a loose biography, but it wasn't mm-hmm. in a story form. It was just, um, like this St. Nicholas was born in Turkey in this year and died in this year. And it was not a story. And I know just how important stories are to children. And so that kind of just, um, prompted that book in particular, but then just throughout daily life, I'll get little inspirations for, Oh, that would be a beautiful book. And usually it's a kind of just a concept Um, I think I'm very fascinated with the idea of mystery in our faith and how um, there's a lot of mystery, a lot we don't understand. Um, And I think that mystery is often best portrayed um, through art, whether it's visual art or music or um, uh, stories. And so I've always been more interested, less interested in like, writing sort of catechesis for children or um, apologetics, less of the truth side of it. I think that's kind of already covered in a lot of ways. Um, I'm more interested in the beauty side of it of like, here's this mystery and it's, we don't really understand it, but we can reflect on it and grow closer to God through that. So in particular, this book, it was um, actually during 2020, the churches were still, I don't, they weren't shut down, but um, it was that first Christmas when people were going to mass and, it was very, there were a lot of restrictions and it was just a weird time. And, um, I was thinking about just the darkness and, and the world and how to kind of, how it's an interesting concept to convey to children, both the darkness in the world, but also the light in the world. And how do you reconcile that? And kind of what is Advent? Because we celebrate, we, we remember that the Israelites were waiting for Jesus and Jesus came and that's great, but there's still darkness. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? And how do we deal with that? That we they waited, but now we're still kind of waiting. Um, and then there's a song, uh, a an old, it's a Thomas Aquinas, um, Adorote Devote, God had here in hiding. And my children and my husband and I learned that, and it's a special song to us, but it specifically talks about... Um, it's Jesus in the Eucharist, but specifically about just how we don't see God, but he's there and we have to seek him mm. in the places where he is and cling to that. So that's kind of the things that inspired 
the words for the book and then the images kind of came from that. Mm, that's great. And the and the book is called The World Waits, just like you're yeah. describing there. So once again, you know, we're we're airing this first um, in November so you guys can go out and get this for Christmas. It would be a great a great um, Advent book, maybe, um, yeah. and our Christmas book as well. Yeah, now, I, you know, again, I think we all know there's a lot of Christmas books, but a nice Advent book. And I like the idea, though, how you've intertwined the idea of waiting for Christ in a pre-Christian world. And I think right. most of us are now taking the look of, you know, this really is a post-Christian mm -hmm. world. Yeah. And right, what does that right. mean? But I also right. like the fact that you tie it back to our everyday lives as Catholics in the mass, right? So right. before, um, it's a two-part question, you know, again, who's your audience? I think you've addressed it a little bit, but go deeper. But number two, can you delve into those three components a little bit more on uh, how we await yeah. for Christ and what that, that, that star looked like and, and you know, how that right. enters into our lives? Yeah, so the target audience, actually, I really, I, I, I really want anything I write to be something that every age can enjoy, whether it's an adult, teenager, a lot of the, my favorite picture books in my household, like I'll start reading it to my little toddlers and my older kids come over because they want to read it too. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's, that's what I aim for is that everyone enjoys it together and sees meaning in it. Um, but definitely for the younger crowd in terms of just that it's accessible to them. So the toddler, young elementary age, um, so that that would be kind of the target. Um, okay. But uh, your second question. Oh, delving into those three things. Yeah, so that was a big part of it, too, was I was just thinking about how Advent really is three different things. It's um, a historical, a celebration of something historical. Um, and then, and, and that's the Israelites waiting for Jesus. And then it's a celebration of something temporal and, like, every day, which is, the mass where we and the sacraments where we wait for Jesus and we receive him. And then it's um, future and that we're waiting for his coming again. And those things really are kind of, they're, they're, they're a mystery when they're together, when you try to like reconcile them, but they um, are all kind of a piece of what we are thinking about during Advent. And again, it's kind of a mystery how God came and God is here, and God's coming again. Yeah, I really, I, I wanted to make sure to tie it into the Eucharist, because I've always had a big devotion to Christmas and the Nativity in general, and um, it's the Nativity has actually helped me to grow my devotion for the Eucharist. Hmm. Um, and I remember when someone told me, you know, that um, Bethlehem means house of bread, and kind of like the manger is like, I'm sorry, the your the... Um, you're like the cradle receiving Jesus mm -hmm. when you receive communion. And so that's always really helped me to think like every mass, I, I know that every mass is like the passion and that's very moving too. But for me in particular, it's very moving to think of the mass as the nativity as well. Mm -hmm. And that Jesus is coming into the world into me in a very simple and humble way. Mm. It's beautiful. You know, Elizabeth, you said, oh, I don't really do much on apologetics. I'm thinking you're doing a lot of unapologetics right there, <laughs> but in such a gorgeous way. And the other thing that made me think about was um, 
St. Pope John Paul II, he loved beauty, like you're talking mm-hmm. about loving beauty. Yes, yeah. Right. Yeah. So listeners, yeah. if you are just joining us here in the family room, we are with Elizabeth Pham. She is a local Jordan, Georgian, and she is the author of two books, The Storybook of Saints, and then the book we're talking about right now, The World Waits, um, a book on Advent for um, young people, for, for, for would you say, like toddlers and, uh, and younger people, but beautiful yeah, enough. Just- Children, yeah. Younger children. Okay. Yeah, younger younger children. Yeah, not necessarily toddlers. Younger children, but beautiful enough that everybody um, finds it attractive. So can you describe even more about just the book itself? What what is attractive? What 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 is what did you work to put into this book that will that makes it attractive? It actually started as just a poem kind of. I just mm. wrote the words down. Mm. One day we were we were on our way to mass and that's what I was thinking about it, um, during Advent. And um and then as I was writing it, I had this, I, I, I thought, how can you, how can you portray all of humanity's longing for Jesus, both past, present, and future? Because it's just such a big concept and we all feel it together. Um, and we, and, and, it, and we're connected to those who have felt it before us. And that's when I kind of thought of this idea of, a, of an actual world um, and I think I, I thought the world would also kind of convey that sense of timelessness, I guess, like connecting generations and um, something kind of, uh, what's the word? I don't know. I, but, but the world and the planets, it just gives you a sense that you're outside of time. And um, so I had this idea of this world that you see the, whole, the world with a face hmm. experiencing the course of human history and first, you know, it's in darkness, and um, then it experiences different things that happened before Jesus. Like, I, there's a page that's supposed to, um, the illustrator, she did a very good job portraying all these things. She has one with, with Noah's Ark on it, um, and then one that kind of looks like people wandering in the desert, like the Israelites wandering. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a world that looks like there's been uh, war happening um, so all these things that happen pre-Christ, and then um, when Jesus comes, that was a really fun um, picture to think about. So I, I'm not I'm not a good artist, so I just did like little mock-ups of what I thought would look cool, and then this stick the figures in like Olsen, that. I'm sorry. I was gonna say stick figures with a boat and things like that. <laughs> right, right. I had the idea, but I just. I wish I was a better illustrator because I have the idea, but I don't know how to make it beautiful. Um, so I had the idea of like um, the world seeing the star, and then the star sees the world, and um, and then different uh, um, different things that happen during Christmas. You have the nativity itself. You have the shepherds. You have the kings, and they're and a different kind of experience that they had mm. of um, seeing the star and seeing the baby Jesus, and then. After you have those pictures with the baby Jesus and the world's experience of that, it says the world felt warm and the world felt um, hopeful and all these things that the world felt. And then the star leaves. Um, And I wanted to really convey that kind of confusion. Actually, it's not in the picture, but it it made me think of the ascension, like Mm -hmm. the confusion Mm -hmm. as the apostles look up in the sky, like what? (laughs) He's leaving. You came, I don't understand. Um, And I still feel that sometimes when I read the gospels, you know, you came and then you left. um, So for the world to feel that, you know, in a, in a bigger 
in a kind of timeless sense. And then it goes on to the world did not understand. And she, the artist did a great job with the, um, the telescopes and the airplanes and everything kind of conveying our modern age of we're exploring, we're trying to find the meaning in things. We have all this technology, we have all these advancements, but there's so much unhappiness and confusion and, um, we, we, we can't seem to find God. Um, but then of course the world has not forgotten completely because we have the sacraments and we have mass and we find Jesus hidden there. So that's kind of the, 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 the way it was thought out. And it's, well, it, there's, there's a lot yeah. there. And I think you answered, I wanted to ask a question that I think you've answered really. And that was obviously there will be parents reading this book to children and frequently an author will have a message for the parents and a me right. message for the children. It sounds like you've nailed that. In fact, I, for I forget what words you just used, uh, Elizabeth, but I, I feel like you captured the ache um, that right, we all have, right. right? Where it's like there's this God wired us to return to him. There's a spot in us that, that is empty. It will always be empty until right. we return. It feels like you captured that really well. Yes. Yeah, I definitely. I, I like I said, some of my, my favorite children's books, I think they sometimes speak more to me than to my kids. Um, and so, yes, I, I definitely, because I was answering the question to myself first, like, mm -hmm. what is Advent and where, where do we find God? Well, we don't know why he left. We don't know why he had to come in the first place. We don't know why there's sin in the world. Or we know why he had to come because there's sin in the world, but we don't know why there's sin in the world. But we know that we have him in the sacraments, and that's what we have to cling to. I think it's a beautiful example of our lives in general, how cyclical our lives can be, right? The sun comes up, right. the sun goes down, and a lot of times, you know, when you've got darkness going on, what, kids, sicknesses, you know, right. death, whatever whatever it is, you know, what, what brings to mind, I think, is going to where John was, is the contemplative, I mean, you've written a book for children, but as an old guy sitting here thinking of a contemplative this is this is mm -hmm. about life and how if mm -hmm. I were reading right. it to and I don't have any grandchildren yet, but if I picked up your book and read it to my grandchildren, how do you also continue to make it relevant to kind of say, see, you know, we're not the only ones that have these times of darkness. They've mm -hmm. come. Mm -hmm. And how do you look for the light? Mm -hmm. How do you right. look for Jesus? Right. By the way, go to Mass. <laughs> Sit there right. and look for him in right. the Eucharist. Go to adoration. Stare yeah. him face to face. Right. And how you've really made a tie to, to our church, which I think is incredibly awesome. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. yeah, it was it was really fun to do. I bet. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with it with a topic though. We're gonna we're gonna pivot slightly. You have six children, a seventh on the way, and we talk about family room memories. Now I guess my question to you is do you have a favorite family room memory, whether it was growing up or one now with your husband and your six children, the five boys and one rose in the midst of the thorns, as John said. Do you have a favorite yeah. family memory? I would say in general, I'm, I'm, it just happens to go with the theme of the book, but every Christmas is yeah. just, um, mm -hmm. we, um, I grew up going to Midnight Mass, and I was actually an only child, which is very different from I what know. I'm now me, experiencing. Me too, so I'm glad. Okay, <laughs> There's yeah. one of us. Um, so, yeah, so we went to Midnight Mass from a very, from when I was pretty young, and it was always kind of the highlight of my year, and then we'd come back and open gifts, um, together, you know, at 3 a.m. or whatever. Yeah. 
Um, and we don't, we have not been going to midnight mass the past couple of years with the six, but we have gone to like a very late mass. Um, and just that, that drive to mass when we start singing Christmas carols, because we don't sing them throughout Advent. Right. And so we start singing them on the way to mass and that's just, mm-hmm. everybody's that's awesome. so happy. Um, and then getting home, everybody's so happy. So just every Christmas, I mean, is always kind of the highlight of my year. I'd say Easter too, but I don't know. Easter is more inaccessible. I feel like it's hard to really feel that same feeling that you feel on Christmas. Um, I, I personally agree. Not to, theologically, but I agree. Christmas yeah. is my favorite. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, Christmas too. And I'm just curious. Up in northern Georgia, to take all of you to Mass, does that require a parade permit? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we, we do have a very interesting situation because where we are is we're at least 30 minutes from any parish. Um, oh. And actually, the parish we typically did, um, in, in Atlanta, I went to Holy Spirit. Okay. I'm sure you guys know Holy yeah, Spirit. Yeah, um, I do. yeah, so I grew up going there. It's a beautiful church, and most of my kids were baptized there. Um, but now we live up here, we mostly have been going to um, a basilica in Chattanooga. I would say Chattanooga it's, would be the closest almost. Yeah, and it's very beautiful, um, and they have a great community. Um, so we've been going there a lot, which is an hour drive. Oh, <laughs> jeez. Um, but but it, um, we do it, you know, once a week on Sundays, and uh, we just, the little ones sometimes nap. We listen to audiobooks on the way, and... We make it work, and good for you. I don't know. It does kind of I'm make jealous. you appreciate it more in yeah. some ways. Because in Atlanta, we were like five or ten minutes from multiple parishes, so we 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 make it work. And then if it's if if it's a special feast day, we try to make it to a daily mass a little closer. And it's just kind of what we do, and it's worth it for where we live. But <laughs> that's it's awesome. It's been yeah. something to get used to. That is awesome. And I'm thinking about all the singing that happens on, on an hour-long yeah. car trip, right? So yeah, speaking definitely. of singing, singing is also a way of praying. We have loved being with you. What can we pray for you for this book as it comes out? We'll encourage our, our listeners to go buy it. They can go to Sophia Press. And once again, it's called The World Waits. Is there anything we can pray that happens with this book? I just hope that the right families get it who will benefit from it. Would you um, lead us in a closing prayer, Elizabeth? We've loved having you. Sure. Um, Actually, a prayer I thought of, I don't know if everybody knows this one, but it's um, fitting. I know it's not Advent yet, but we're getting close. Um, My family prays this prayer as we get closer to Christmas. Um, It's called the St. Andrew Prayer. Sure. Uh, It's a really old prayer. And it's become very important to us. I'm going to hope I don't mess it up because it's got some weird wording. But it's, um, Hail and blessed be the hour and moment in which the Son of God was born of the most pure Virgin Mary at midnight in Bethlehem and the piercing cold. And that hour, grant, I beseech thee, O my God, to hear my prayer and grant my desires to the merits of our Savior Jesus Christ and of his blessed Mother. Amen. Amen. In the Father and the Son. Amen. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being with us. Listeners, we've loved having you as well. And go buy this book by Elizabeth Pham. Um, And please join us here again in the family room next week where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the family room, sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.